be honest with you guys. I, I was challenged in the word that I'm going to share this morning. I get excited. I was excited to preach on family last week. You know, I love family. You know, in a couple of weeks, we'll preach about marriage. I love marriage. Um, I wasn't really excited about the topic that we're going to speak about, but the Lord put something great on my heart. It challenged me. Does anybody like being challenged in their walk with God? I don't know about you. I mean, there's a lot of places you could go. If all you want out of church is just encourage me and tell me I'm a winner, uh, we'll do that sometimes, but not often, I'll be honest with you. I like to be challenged. I like to be like, God, put something, give me a task, rebuke me if I need it. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys are like that, but I've had coaches growing up that like, everybody's a winner, everybody gets a trophy, and you feel good being part of a team like that. But it's better to win. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't like this don't keep score, we're all winners kind of stuff. No, I want to win. I want to know who won. And if I lost, I want to know why and what I can do to be a winner. Are you with me today, church? I know, I know this is not, you know, modern day or whatever. But, uh, but that's what I'm going for, man. And you're going to see that today in our message. Would you stand to your feet? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, in fact, we're going to bring it up on the screen. This is what we call our theme verse. We're praying the Lord would instill this in our church as a whole. Our custom is, it's there on the screen, and we're going to read it together at the count of three, right out loud. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And our text for today is Ephesians chapter 6, just a couple chapters over. We're going to be in at verse 5, a very interesting passage. I'm reading out of the New King James, but this is what it says, bond servants. Everybody say bond servants. Now, some of yours might read different. It may say slave, it may say employee, it may say servant simply, but we'll talk about that. Be obedient to those who are your Masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Masters, do the same things to them, give up threatening knowing your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Wow. Let's pray, and let's ask the Lord's hand on this word. Lord, I, I just thank you for your word, and I pray you'll speak to our hearts and change our lives today. Mighty God, I pray you would encourage us and instruct us, that you would even correct us where we need it. But we just welcome your Holy Spirit to minister what you desire to do in each and every one of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, this is a, a, a powerful passage, and I needed the Lord to show me some things on this because, uh, I, like I said, I wasn't real excited to get into this, but here's, here's kind of the underlying idea. I, I wrote this down. This is my thesis for our message today. No good deed is unseen or unrewarded when we're in service to the Master. No good deed is unseen or unrewarded when we are in service to the Master. I I hope that today what we can do, I don't know how many of you consider yourselves, you may feel like you're a slave in the workplace. Uh, You may feel like you're in an environment where uh, you don't enjoy the work that you do or the place that you serve or whatever it may be. But I'm praying that our perspective will shift uh, over the course of the day that we realize that everything that we do is in service to our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And when we live our lives that way, I'm telling you guys, there is reward. There is blessing that's attached to it. In fact, I have entitled this message, The Reward of the Master. Now, I do want to deal with something here because I know that uh, as you read this, depending on your translation in verse 5, you may see the word servant or it could be the word slave. It's the Greek word doulos. Everybody say doulos. And it's a, it's a right translation. It means slave or bond servant or, or bond slave. Um, and, and, and it is talking also about those who are masters, or in verse 9, it actually uses the word Lord when it's talking about those who rule over those who are servants or bond servants. And so, inevitably, the question is going to come, well, isn't the Bible opposed to slavery? And how could the Bible endorse something like that? In fact, I've, I've noticed as, as individuals who are outside of the church maybe they got offended or maybe they never wanted to be a part of the church and it's because they see texts like this and like well how could the bible ever endorse slavery it's such an evil thing and how could we ever come behind that and i want to bring some clarity because i understand that when we talk about slavery immediately we have an image that comes into our mind correct we have an evil that comes into our mind. And I, I, I do think there's value. I want to understand what the Bible is actually saying here. And I want also to understand one of the most fascinating things that you'll notice as you read through the New Testament. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul actually refers to himself as a bond servant or a slave to God and to Jesus Christ more frequently than any other name that he uses to describe his relationship with the Lord. If he had such an evil view of slavery, why in the world would he say, this is what my life looks like in relationship to God? So obviously there's some perspective that Paul has or the Bible is presenting that we don't necessarily see. What I want you to understand is when the Bible talks about, I like the, the New King James, it actually says bond servant. You know what a bond servant is? If you read in the Old Testament, it's outlined in Leviticus, it's outlined in Deuteronomy, it's outlined in a, in a number of different places. There was a, a, a system by which, let's say, I loan you some money, 
and you find that you're unable to pay. I shouldn't use myself as the example here. Somebody loans money, right? Somebody loans money to somebody else, and they're unable to pay them back. And so what they decide to do is I can't come up with the money to pay you back the service that that you gave me. So what I'm going to do instead is we're going to sign a contract. And I'm going to work off my debt for you over a certain period of time, and, uh, and I will become a bond servant. They come to some kind of contractual agreement. These are the terms of the service. Now, you also have to understand, you just read that, and it's not such a bad deal when you read about it in the context of Scripture. You'll see that there were rights, that there were there were things against uh, being abusive or, or keeping somebody or breaking or changing the terms of the contract. The master or the writer of the contract would actually be punished and even at times to the point of death depending on how they treated those who were working within their household. And there were a couple things. You couldn't extend the contract unless it was agreed upon. And also, there were time frames. Every seven years, they celebrated what they would call Jubilee. Anybody familiar with Jubilee? This was a period of time where every slave was to be released. So there was no lifelong servitude. The biblical definition, what God lays out as slavery or bond service is very different than what we've seen in the history of our nation, for example. I want you to understand that. In fact, the Bible is very clear that if anybody is taken from another nation and forced into slavery in your nation, the Bible says that is punishable by death. So understand When the Bible talks about slavery, it's not talking about what we've seen in our nation. In fact, much of what went on in our nation, taking from another nation, abusive, forced labor would have been punished by death if we were under a biblical covenant. Do you understand? We're talking about very different things. A closer picture of what this would actually look like. Bond service is when somebody decided, and you can see this all in Scripture, when somebody decides... Man, I came into a contract for three years working for this guy. I fulfilled my contract, but I have found that I really enjoy working for this guy. I've got a great living situation. I got married. I've got children. He's providing for me. I think I would like to stay on and continue as his bond servant. And people had the option to do that. It was a willful giving of themselves to be a bond servant. And the Bible outlines what that process looks like. Again, you could define the, the length of that contract or it could be a, a continual kind of thing. In which case, it actually says you go to the doorpost, you put your ear up against the thing and they'll pierce your ear. And that will be the mark that you have now given yourself as a bond servant to a master whom you enjoy. Now, let me just say that Part of the reason this is important for us to understand is if you look at the terms of what the Bible calls bond service, many of you are actually a lot closer to this than you realize. How many of you took a job, maybe even right now, you're working a job and you said, I'm going to work for you a certain amount of hours and you're going to pay me this much? You're a bond servant. You are a bondservant. You have come to a contractual agreement saying, I will work for you and you will do this for me. 
And as long as you fulfill the terms of your agreement and they fulfill the terms of your agreement, then you guys can continue on and, you know, you feel good about it and hopefully they feel good about it. That's bond service. You understand when we're watching these drafts that go on in in the sports world, you know, you say you're going to come and play for my team and you're going to wear these kinds of shoes and you're going to, you know, do this kind of advertising and uh, and we're going to pay you $12 million to do that. That's a bond servant. Are you guys are you guys hearing me today? You got I, I see a shake in your head, but you're not talking to me very much, so I just got to make sure. So I, I want you to understand very clearly: the Bible does not defend any sort of oppressive slavery system, but employing people we see all throughout the Scripture, and uh, and so I, I want you to understand now. Now, one thing that is kind of interesting. I know people ask the question, well, Paul, he was dealing with a situation right here in Rome. I mean, in the Roman Empire, slavery was a huge deal. And I've had people ask, well, why didn't, why didn't Paul, why didn't Jesus being in that system just destroy that whole oppressive slavery system? And I would submit to you that he actually did. You'll watch as revival began to break out there in the first century that what happens is one of the early things in recorded history, we actually see the uprooting and the destruction of the Roman Empire. And that entire slave system was abolished. In fact, every time in the Bible that you see an oppressive slave system, look at Egypt, God abolished it. Look at Rome, God abolished it. Look at our nation. There were godly men and women who rose up and said, this is not right. This is abusive, this is oppressive, and it is ungodly. And the Lord dealt with it. The Lord dealt with it. What is important here, in the reason that Paul is beginning to describe, now this is very important. I want you to hear me on this. Paul here is not dealing with a system of slavery. What Paul is dealing with is the heart. And it's very important for us because how many understand that you can eradicate a slave system, but if the hearts of people don't change, Slavery is still going to exist. In fact, if you look at history, we just celebrated Juneteenth. Do you realize that they actually abolished the slave system months and months and months, even up to two years before slaves were actually released in many parts of the United States? Why? You can destroy a system, but if the heart of those who are oppressive has not changed, slavery will still continue. In fact, today... Did you know there are more people in slavery today than at any other time in human history? We have children in nations all around the world that are working slave labor in jobs, putting together shoes and electronics and all kinds of stuff. It's slavery, and it's ungodly. We have children and young people that are being kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. This goes on like crazy. We don't have a system for that. But wickedness and evil is in the heart of so many individuals that that's something that still goes on. And you know what the answer is? A transformation of heart. 
We're believing for what Malachi chapter 4 begins to talk about. The outpouring of the Spirit of God where the hearts of fathers turn towards children and children turn towards their parents. The Bible prophesied that that's what was going to happen in the last day, outpouring of the Spirit. I believe there's going to be a time where people rise up and say, we need a transformation of heart. We're going to abolish slavery. We're going to fight for these things. And... uh, yeah, you guys with me today? Okay. Hallelujah. So we're going to speak to the heart. Now, I've got just a couple things for you, and, uh, and, and this is going to help us all because we're all bond servants, whether you realize it or not. We're all under agreements, and there's a certain way that you and I need to conduct ourselves as workers, whether in the workplace or in the home. Or even as we're serving within a, within a ministry or something like that, there's certain things that we need to conduct ourselves in. Look at verse 5 here. It says, Bond servants, Ephesians 6, 5, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, again, you'll see here, first of all, we're gonna, as we work, we're going to work with honor and obedience. Everybody say honor and obedience. This is very important for us to do. Now, if you were here last week, you heard I used those two same words to describe our relationship with parents. The way that children are to be with parents. We're to honor them and we're to obey them. And this is very important for us to recognize because the Bible commands it. Now, let me ask you a question. When the Bible instructs us, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Do you think the Bible was only talking about perfect parents? Or when he says, servants or employees, honor and obey your boss, was he only talking about godly and Christian employers? Like only if you work for Chick-fil-A do you have to honor and obey, right? No. When he's saying, Wives, honor your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Is he only talking about when your wife is perfect? When your husband is perfect? No. I want you to understand the Bible. God in his infinite wisdom knew as these words were being penned, he would be writing to individuals who would work for horrible bosses. He would be writing to wives who struggled with attributes of their husband or husbands that struggled with their wives or, or, or children who were saved and godly and their parents were not. God knew And yet there are principles that we need to enact in all of these ways. Now, if you've ever heard the testimony of Joyce Meyer, man, that woman of God blesses me. She grew up in a household where she was sexually abused on a regular occasion by her father. She gets saved. And the Lord begins to minister to her, and yet the Lord taught her a way that she would still honor and obey that wicked man that she was in the home with. Now, how does that work? How do you honor a monster like that? Well, the Lord helped her. And you look today. She's active in seeing people who are in similar situations healed and set free. She's active today. God uses her in, in, in so many different ways, in the books that she's written, in the conferences that she's holding, in the, in the ministries that she oversees, and people who are active to minister and all the God truly has taken a horrible situation and turned it for his good. 
I believe with all of my heart, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the workplace. In fact, the next verse that I've got on here, 1 Peter 2.18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. The actual word there is perverse. Now, here's what's interesting. It's easy to go to work when you work for a great boss. But it's hard to remain hardworking and diligent and honoring and obedient when your boss is horrible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had a good boss? You enjoy work. How many of you had a bad boss? How many of you, that same boss has been both at times? <laughs> We've all had it. And I'm telling you, what we need, this is, this is the character of God. We are going to be honorable and obedient. Why? Not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. We don't know why I honor people, whether I agree with them or not. You want to know why I pray every day for our, for our uh, president, even though I am not on board with a lot of the policies? I don't honor him because of the things that he says or does. I honor him because I'm honorable. I pray for him because the Bible commands me to, and God is worthy of my obedience, even if our president is not. Are you hearing me today, friend? I know this isn't, this isn't easy for me, and I know it's probably not easy for you, but every one of us will find ourselves in positions where we are asked to honor and obey people we don't want to. How are we going to do that? Only by the grace of God, I think. Jesus said in Luke 6.32, this is the next verse I've, I've put in here, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. If you lend, you knowing you're going to get it back, what is that? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend not expecting a return. Your reward, your reward will be great. Everybody say reward. There is a reward when you honor, when you obey, when you pray for, when you love people that are unlovable. All of your employees could be saying, we need to, we need to strike and we need to institute change in our workplace. Jesus is saying, that's how sinners think. Why don't you love them and pray for them and honor them and serve them and do good? And if you suffer for my sake, I will reward you. Oh, I hope you're getting this today, friend, because you know what this does to me? This gives me hope. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in a position where I'm working for somebody, even a ministry I don't have a heart for. But I do it not because they deserve it, but I do it because the Lord has instructed it. And I expect God's going to bless me. God is going to return to me. He's going to give me favor. Now, of course, somebody's going to ask the question, well, what if they ask you to do something that's sinful? Now, listen, you honor and you obey. If your boss, if your pastor, if your parents, whatever the, that authority figure in your life, if they ask you to do something that is blatantly sin, that's where we institute Acts 5, 29. Peter and the other disciples, they were instructed, stop preaching the gospel. And they're like, uh, that was a direct command from my authority, Jesus. 
will we ought to obey God rather than man? You understand? So if there is a line drawn in the sand and you have to choose, am I going to obey the Bible or am I going to obey my boss or my parents or whatever it may be, you're gonna, you'll obey the Bible. You understand? We're going to strive to live at peace. We're going to strive to honor and obey and do all those things. And God's going to bless us even when it's difficult. Amen? Now, the next part here, verse 5, it says, Bonser is be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart. Watch this, as to Christ. Why are you going to be obedient? Why are you going to honor? Why are you going to serve? It's not for them. It's to Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. We work, number two, knowing that we are seen by God. You know that, friend? We work knowing that we are seen by God. I am working for a master, my Lord and master, Jesus Christ. You'll notice that most of the time that I pray, I, you know, I love praying to my Father in heaven. You know, I do that. But I pray to my Lord. 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 You know, everybody I've discovered wants to have a Savior But few people are willing to yield their lives to a Lord and Master. But I believe that's what's required of us. There is a, in a day and an age where everything is about self-affirmation. And, you know, I was emailing somebody earlier this week that I believe that a lot of church has been reduced to little more than a motivational speech with a scripture attached to it. I believe with all of my heart what you and I are called to do is die. We are called to lay down our lives. We are called to die to our will. It's not self-affirmation, but it's deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the opposite of the way that most of the world and even a lot of our churches are preaching today. But here's what I believe with all of my heart. If you sacrifice your dreams for the sake of the master, he will revive your dreams. You're going to discover purpose and call and destiny that you could never formulate on your own. Guys, I would hate to think what stupid thing I would be doing if I had just done my own thing. I think back on what I was passionate about in high school, and I'm like, God, you saved me from some goofy stuff I already know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I was willing to lay down my scholarships. I was willing to lay down my dreams. And God has revived many of those things. God has given me greater visions and greater dreams. And and, and can I just tell you, God will ask you to do things that scare you. I was prepared for this mentality because my spiritual father was a hard man. God used in revival. His name was Steve Hill. I encourage you, if you've never listened to him, you ought to go look him up, the Brownsville Revival. And I remember when I was just beginning to move into ministry, in fact, uh, we had a number of opportunities. Some were on the mission field, some were evangelistic opportunities, but I had been in talks with a missionary in Honduras in particular. And we were thinking about, my my wife and I were going to get married, we were going to go down to Honduras, and we were going to work for a couple years and just see what the Lord did. 
And out of nowhere, a small church in southern Illinois asked if I would come and be their senior pastor. And there was something about it that felt like, I think that's what we're supposed to do. And I talked to Steve Hill, and he told me, I think you guys should do that. You're going to hone your preaching skills. You're going to learn to love people. Then you can do evangelism, missions, all that, but go do that for a while. We called Dr. Morocco, who was Leah's pastor. Now he's my pastor as well. We called Dr. Morocco, and he said, you know, I think you guys should do that. You're going to learn to love people. You're going to hone your preaching skills. Our two coverings told us the same two reasons why we should go and we should take that church. I remember I sat down with Steve Hill. I was looking at him, and I said, you know, Pastor Steve, I, I want to go to Honduras. And I think maybe we should go take this church. Now, I'm 21. My wife is 20. We were asked to senior pastor a church, write the Constitution and bylaws, write the statement of faith, take over the board, you know, do all this kind of... And that scared me, man. I wasn't prepared to do any of that kind of stuff. I never paid attention to any of the organizational stuff in Bible school. Just teach me how to heal people and cast out devils. That's all I wanted to know about. So when I got asked to lead board meetings... I'm telling you guys, when it was some of you students, when you get these boring guys who come in and try and teach you structure, and you just think this is so, what is the point of this? There's going to be a day that you're thankful you paid attention in those sessions. I'm just telling you. And so uh, I didn't pay attention, so I had to go to other people for help. But I told Steve Hill, we're sitting in his office, and, and I said, Pastor Steve, I feel like I'm supposed to go, but I don't feel a peace about this. And he looked at me like he wanted to slap me. Peace? He says, what are you talking about? Peace. Jacob, let me ask you a question. Do you think that when a soldier is standing on the edge of a battlefield and his commanding officer says, go, fight, take this field, do you think that he feels peace? I'm like, no. <laughs> he says, if the Lord has commanded it, you say, yes, sir. So we took that church. And I had Judas's and we had battles. But you know what? We saw many people saved. The guy who's still pastoring there, he got saved the first month that we were there in that church. I'll never forget the day he walked into the service. He responded to the salvation call. Over the next couple of years, I discipled him, poured into him. He first began mowing our lawn, and the next thing you know, he was helping in the youth ministry. Then he's leading our youth ministry. Today, he leads the church. He's doing a phenomenal job. And uh, I'm so glad that I took that assignment. But it broke this idea. If I don't have goosebumps over the decision, if I don't feel peace over the decision, then I just better not do it. No, God will always ask you to do things that will freak you out. <laughs> Dr. Morocco, we ought to just buy the whole mall. What? Doctor, that's, how are we going to do that? I mean, you understand, like, I'm looking at a mortgage. In fact, Dr. Morocco, I'll never forget, we're signing all the documents. And we found out, I found out what the monthly obligation that between the mall and the church we needed to bring in, and I'll just tell you, $17,000 a month. Our old mortgage in our building in Lahaina was $1,100 a month. And so I'm looking at this. Dr. Morocco, he signs a piece of paper and he hands me this wad of, of papers like that thick. And he drops it in front of me and says, welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> and I'm like, how are we going to do this? Did you know that by month three, 
of us being in this property, we were financially breaking even. It freaked me out to think, I need to come up with more than 10 times what the income that we needed when we were in Lahaina. But the Lord has done it. God is always going to ask you to do things that are bigger than you, that are greater than you, that will freak you out. Why? Because when He shows Himself faithful and when He accomplishes it, you don't get the glory. Only He gets the glory for it. Hallelujah. So, I'm preaching myself happy. I need to, I need to move on. He says, we, we work with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to man. We work. We know that we're seen by the Lord. And can I just remind you that even Jesus said that you can't give a cup of water without God taking note and rewarding you. And I just want to encourage every person within the sound of my voice that you've ever worked, you've ever labored, and nobody saw it. Nobody recognized it. Maybe somebody else got praised for a project that you did. Or maybe somebody received a reward or an accolade for something that you worked just as hard in. You didn't get promoted. You didn't get recognized. I want you to know if the Bible says that you can't even give a cup of water, if you can't do something good and God sees it, the Bible says he will reward you. I want you to know God's a good record keeper. And there's going to be a day that all those moments that you were overlooked and even looked down upon, God is going to reconcile those things. He is going to reward you. Moms, you guys work so hard and your kids just grunt at you and your husband doesn't even thank you when he gets home. God sees it. Every single day that you work so hard and give yourselves for your family, God sees it. And even if you're never thanked, God will. Husbands, I just think about our kids' ministry, our kids' workers back there. We don't celebrate them the way that we ought to. Every one of you that got kids back in that kids' ministry, you just go better go love on those guys and honor them and thank them. But I'm telling you, some of these thankless jobs, did you know? There's people that show up here every Friday and they mow this lawn and they work and they serve. A lot of them come from our hula ministry and they work tirelessly. You don't know that. But these guys work hard and there's going to be a day where God honors them and God rewards them. Worship team, will you come? I've spent too much time on too many other things. Let me give you one more thought and this is very, very powerful. Number three. We work knowing that God will reward us. We work knowing God will reward us. And can I just tell you, it's okay to expect God to reward you. I think it would be foolish and we would all agree that if we were to have somebody come down for prayer and we say, you know, I want to pray for you. And you say, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to expect a miracle. That's goofy, isn't it? But why is it that we hear people say, now don't give expecting to receive. Don't give to get. No, just give to worship. I understand. We give to honor the Lord. We give as an act of worship. Absolutely. But if you give and you don't expect God's blessing in return, that's foolish. 
The Bible says whatever good you do, you will receive the same from the Lord, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're an employer or you're an employee. When you do good, you should expect good to come to you. I want you to know the reverse is true of that as well. If you're a rotten boss, you can have people be rotten to you. I was thankful. I learned this very early on. And when I was working for other ministries, I always made sure I'm going to do my best. I'm going to speak well of those leaders. I'm going to work hard because I know if I do those things, one day I'll be leading a ministry and God's going to bring me people like that. But if I'm running my mouth and I'm divisive and I'm, I'm hateful and I'm lazy when nobody's watching, those are the very same type of people that God's going to bring to me. And I'm thankful. I look at guys like Minister Rylan. Him and his wife, you know, they work their brains out. You want to know why? I believe the reason God brought a family like him to work alongside me, because I was that for people like Steve Hill. I've tried to be that for people like Dr. Morocco. And you need to consider whatever area you're working in or whether you're serving in, God is going to bring you the type of people that you are to others. My goodness. Guys, this one principle has transformed my life. I believe it'll transform yours as well. So we're going to work. We're going to work knowing God will reward us. We're going to work knowing that God sees us. We're going to work honoring and obeying even when they don't deserve it. And God's going to help us. How many of you say, I need God to help me with this? Oh, yeah. Me too. Why don't you stand? <laughs> and uh, man, we just ought to surrender our lives in a, in a new and a fresh way to the Lord. We need it. Come on, can we just worship him with a chorus now? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Come on, just surrender to him right now. We need him. I live for you. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, and have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. Come on, I give you my soul. I live. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Oh, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Come and come and have your way in me, Lord. Come and have your way. Come on, just ask Him to say, Come have your way. Come and have.
Lord, today we just choose to yield ourselves in a new and a fresh way. God, I pray that you would help us to live with the perspective that, Lord, our boss, our our employee, our spouse, our, our pastor, our leaders, they may not see us, but you do. And we're going to work and we're going to honor and we're going to do what we do, not for their sake, but for yours, Lord. And we know that, Lord, at the end of it, there is a reward. God, I'm living for that day where I'll stand before you and you'll say, enter in good and faithful servant. Lord, that's the moment I'm living for. I thank you for the honor and the respect that we receive here on the earth. But Lord, I'm living for that day. Lord, that you'll see and that you'll recognize. And and there is a reward, your word says, for those who, who serve you and honor you and who love you. You will reward those who diligently seek you, mighty God. God, I believe for your reward. I believe for every person that, Lord, gets ingrained in this church. Oh, my desire for their lives, and I know it's yours, is that they will look good on Judgment Day. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We need your help. Come on, just ask Him to help you. Ask Him to help you to be the worker, to be the servant, to be the leader that He's called you to be. Help us, Lord. Oh, help us, Lord. We need you. We don't want to operate on our own strength, our own talent, our ability. Oh, we need you, Lord. Oh, we need you, Lord. Oh, we ask you to help us. Come on, I want to lead us in a prayer. And maybe you're here and you desire Jesus to be your Savior, but you're not sure if he's your Lord. But we're going to profess him as our Lord. We're going to ask him to lead every aspect of our lives and to live his life through us. Come on, as a sign of surrender, can you just lift your hands all across this room? And will you pray this with me right out loud? Pray, dear Jesus, out loud, everybody pray it. Dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. Forgive me, Jesus. Wash me in your blood. Make me whiter than snow. I give you my life. I ask you. Be my Savior, my Lord and my Master. Be my very best friend. I give you my life. I surrender to you all that I am. And I know you're going to use me. You're going to call me. You're going to raise me up for your glory and for your namesake. Help me, Lord to live a life that honors you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. Just believe for God's favor on your life. Come on, would you just lift your hands once more? Today, I speak the blessing of God over you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Abraham was blessed in every way, may God bless you in every detail of your life. 
As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. When you're tempted and tried, may you come forth victoriously as Job, resulting in twice as much as you had before. As you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, may they in turn grow up godly, bringing honor to your family name. When you honor God with your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while others rise up and call you blessed. As you wait on the Lord, obey his word and seek him above all else. May the blessing of strength, courage, protection, and favor be your reward. May the Lord guard, watch over and guard your going out and your coming in. Kings Kona, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord shine his light upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.